1: Some of the best elk hunters in the world. across the canyon, pop up the other side, and the wind is right at my back and blows right into it. I cut him off and say, I'm the best, or That's you? I love it, and I feel like I'm super blessed to
2: call myself an elk hunter. To beat them at their game, to get them within that bow range, convincing
1: them that I'm one of them.
0: you got to close that distance really quick on him, and if you going to engage that much, that's a dead bull.
1: Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion. Pursuing our dreams field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. All right. Okay. We're on with uh Mr. Dirk Durham. Again, man, you know, I hit Dirk up at the last minute. I greatly appreciate it. We're both in the scramble to get the trucks loaded. Um, so thank you, man. And welcome. Welcome back. Good to, good to have you on again, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. So, yeah, man, I, you know, going through going through these, you know, these whoppity episodes, man. And like I said, I kept, you know, I'm, I'm like, I gotta hit Dirk up. I gotta hit Dirk up. I know he's busy, and then I'm like, man, I haven't done it. So here we are. And Dirk Durham is more than just the bugler, right? There's a lot more that goes into elk hunting than going out and hitting that, uh, hitting that trumpet, so to speak. So I kind of wanted to, you know, guys are heading into camp or just getting to camp or, you know, leaving the camp next week. And I kind of wanted to talk about your approach, right? From hunt to hunt elk or elk, but there's nuanced differences, From state to state or, you know, mountain range to mountain range, you know, county to county, however you look at it with pressure, weather, predation, um, recreators are a huge deal that I'm going to be dealing with, you know, this, this weekend on opener. And I just kind of wanted to talk about or let folks hear your approach, you know, on the way to camp, what you're thinking when you hit the mountain, what you're, what you're evaluating. And then we'll just go from there, man.
2: Yeah, sounds great. That sounds great. Um, yeah, every every seems like every every place I go is a little different, um, you know. As far as what the result is going to be, usually, you know, whether you're North Idaho, South Idaho, Wyoming, uh, New Mexico, whatever. But um, all in all, like my first order of business is just finding out, especially when you're going um, out of state and you've never been there before. Uh, you do your fair of amount of due diligence for outing, trying to find, you know, where likely places would be where to find an elk, you know, but, um, I want to, I want to learn the road system, you know, uh, first day and, you know, try to kind of check out the area via roads, see where everybody else is hunting, see where the access points are. Um, you know, of course want to do some calling, some glassing, just trying to turn up some elk, but familiarizing yourself with the with the, the hunting area via roads, um, that's, to me, it's super critical because um, there, there can be a road system that, uh, look, it's marked, you know, on a map. You say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, drive up in there and uh, get out and hike. But you may, the road may be closed um, you, you, when you get there, right? There may be a gate. There may be. It may be open on the map, but you get there and it's all brushed in. I don't know how many times I've got mm-hmm. to the but you can't hardly drive a D8 cat down the road. you know. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, once you kind of connect the dots on, on figure out the road system, it's like, okay, we can hunt over here. But if we kill one, we can hike it out the bottom and hit that other road and it won't be such a, a bad pack or... Oh, wow. You know, I, I thought I was really deep and in a really secluded place, but shoot, I just walked six miles in. But um, just over that last little ridge, a, a half mile away is a, is another road where people have easier access. So just understanding that
1: and understanding the lay of land is super important to me. Do you think we're we're, and I get it, I've been there, done that, but do you think we're too fast to drop in and just want to hunt? and and not understanding that road system there's an area that i hunt that's that's to the southwest of me and you know there's a portion of it where the road is literally a mile apart and then the further in you go you know it's 13 miles from road to road i do the midway i ain't that 13 mile walking guy so i'll do that midpoint but that that has been something that that i've learned over the years that you know yeah get the lay of the land um, you get into some of those areas, man, and you'll have a you know four or five camps in a in a mile or half mile radius around you if you're not evaluating that stuff as you're going in. Right, right. And typically, if I'm seeing
2: camps or a lot of trucks at a trailhead or something um, on the way to that spot, I'm I'm kind of watching the terrain, the hillside, the country, and if I've done my due diligence, right. It's like, well, there's a big trailhead up here, but you know, sometimes out there along the way, maybe there's a wide spot in the road. I can pull off and look up on the Hill and there's a, maybe a secluded basin or a secluded spot where, you know, a little bit of uh, boot leather and an hour hike on some steep stuff. And you're away from any trails, you're away from any camps. and, And a lot of times, especially if you're mid season, and things have been stirred up for a week or two, um, you'll find elk in those kind of places.
1: And there's some benefit to, without sounding any type of way, playing the other hunters too, right? I mean, using that to your advantage in those animals, and and that goes back to understanding the lay of the land a little bit more, and actually getting eyes on it, right? Because as we grow more dependent, I guess, on e-scouting and guys are thinking that that is all they got. And then they get out there and they're like, that does not look like what I thought I was going to be hiking up. And it's nearly freaking vertical. I've <laughs> been there, done that right. Or you're looking down, you're looking down a 200 foot cliff that you thought you were going to hike down. Um, but there's huge benefit, man, into understanding where everybody's attacking and trying to play your counterparts out on the mountain and use that to your benefit.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, You know, identifying those places where the masses are going to, going to travel, you know, easy, nice trails up, up long valleys, you know, roadless valleys, you know, those are the places where a lot of people are going to hike. And then look into that, like where would those elk disperse from a place like that? Uh, They'd go, go up and over into some other basin that doesn't have a doesn't have a road in it um and doesn't have any maybe any mark trails any packer trails in there you know that's that's typically where the pressured elk if you're going to go or some just some really steep nasty stuff nobody's dumb enough
1: <laughs> to go climb in. <laughs> well yeah well you're not dumb enough until it feels like it's the only option and the and the more people that are on the mountain it, it seems like that those areas are becoming more and more of an option, at least in in what I've been hunting the last few years.
2: Oh yeah, hundred percent. My, uh, you know, they say the older you get, the wiser you get, but um, <laughs> I'm I doing I do dumb stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I like think all, it's it's more desperation to get it done sooner than uh, than previous man
2: yeah, like I find myself in some terrible places I, I would have never hunted or would have never had to hunt, you know, 15 years ago. Uh it just, it seems like the, the areas are getting harder and harder to, to hunt. And, uh, I know that's part of getting old too, right? The mountains are always super. <laughs> but
1: yeah, that's funny. I talked to, uh, I recorded with uh, your buddy, Tony Gilbertson. I don't know. It seems like it's been a couple of weeks ago and, and man, we got into the, uh, the aches and pains of getting the gray hair and uh, dude, there's all kinds of stuff that you don't even consider uh, <laughs> when you're, when you're five, 10 years younger. And then it's like, Oh man, this is, I heard about this. Like I knew it was coming. I just, I thought I was beyond it. It was pretty funny, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just last summer
2: I've, one day, I looked, looking at my phone trying to read something, and then I picked up something else to try to read it. I'm like, man, something's wrong with my eyes. Or I must have the allergies or something. I start rubbing them. And all of a sudden, that close-up sight was gone, and everything's blurry as heck. And guess what? I need readers. Well, um, I'm still kind of fighting it. I haven't gone to the eye doctor and got them, but my wife has a pair I borrow sometimes. Of course, they, <laughs> but I put them up I get desperate to read a pillbox
1: label on oh dude <laughs> I, I've pretty much succumbed to it especially like on the computer screen I'm on it so much at work and then you know you get home and you're on the crap how is how has that affected your archery in terms of your pin because I was uh I've noticed in the last few months dude like my pin isn't you know I'm looking at my target but my pin isn't as clear as it used to be. And if I have, so I'm shooting three and I have, uh, I have a red, green, red and dude, yeah. I need to, I need to change at least one of the reds for an orange. Um, I've had a couple of shots where it was like, damn, that was the wrong red pin. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know,
2: my, that arm's length is is pretty good for me still. Uh, but anything inside that, um, mm-hmm. uh, like from the wrist in, <laughs> i can't see jack
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it it, it, it kind of sucks man there's some wisdom that comes with the gray hair but man the uh the other stuff the physical stuff kind of sucks going downhill but <laughs> yeah yeah so okay so we talked about you know your approach when you get there now when you get boots on the ground right it's about locating elk be it glass them. um but then how are you taking their temperature is that, you know, and I, I hate to say it again, right? But the moniker is the bugler, right? So that says a lot, but, but what is that approach? And then in that approach, when do you decide, okay, now I got the temperature, this is the strategy I'm using. And then what is that strategy? Yeah. So,
2: you know, I'll, I'll glass a fair amount, but a lot of country I, I hunt doesn't lend itself to good glassing. You know, you could glass a hillside, all you see is trees, right? Mm-hmm. So but we're going to lean on pretty heavy on the call um, to locate a bull, and I'm I'm just kind of I like to call to a bull's disposition. I like to experiment calls every time. Every time I'm looking for a bull, it's like an experimentation. What what are they going to answer, and um, and then how is he going to answer? So um, so I'm trying to locate a bull. Finally, I get one that answers. Okay, what did he answer to? Maybe he answered to a wimpy bugle. Maybe he answered to a bugle with some grunts or chuckles. Maybe, maybe I had to give a big ripper, you know, like a big lip ball type bugle with some real aggressive chuckles. Uh, what did he, what did he like? Um, did he like cow call? Did he answer a cow call or did he not answer a cow call? Um, so in, I'm formulating in my mind what he likes, right? So I want to continue to give him what he likes. Um, and then I'm going to listen to what what his response was. Did he give kind of like a, a ho-hum, like a, a real moany, not real pissed off sounding bugle? Did he come right back at me just sounded really aggressive? Um, That's going to really dictate the way I'm going to, you know, play it from there. But uh, typically, regardless um, of how they sound, before I ever make a move, um, I, I want to like I want to hear that bull answer like three times minimum, maybe even four. I really want to pinpoint where he's at. I really want to know that he's, he's staying vocal enough that if I walk <laughs> across some giant Canyon or walk a long ways that when I get there, the chances of him talking are still going to be pretty good. Uh, so I want to make sure I, I have three or four good answers. Um, and then if he sounds real wimpy, real, real wimpy I'm going to probably call to him fairly wimpy um I'm not going to get it real aggressive real quick with him um and it typically typically those ones that kind of answer real wimpy are the ones that um answered my call that was kind of sounded wimpy that did, I wasn't a super aggressive call but if a bull sounds pretty aggressive then I won't I don't want to just like cut him off right off the bat. I want to kind of let things build up a little bit, let his temperature build some more. So I'll get it. I'll get dialed in where he's at. Then I'll, then I'll shut up and I'll, I'll start hiking now. And I want to get to that bowl, you know, pretty quickly. Number one, while he's kind of still in the mood to talk and number two, I don't, I don't want to get completely out of the country because some areas, you know, bulls will, will travel, you know, four miles in a morning from, from where they fed to where they bed. In some areas I've had them travel only, you know, 400 yards, (laughs) depending on the country, you know, and the, and the state. So um, I want to get over there. Um, If they're going to travel four miles, if you dilly dally too much, um, they may just go out at your shot and they may be pretty tough, to turn up again if there's a lot of terrain features there that you, that you can't hear him from be, you know they'll get behind a big ridge or down in a draw that, and you're on the other side of a draw where you can't hear into it and um man they can they can get away pretty easy uh so i want to get over there pretty quick
1: so if you you start your your deal i don't know, say you're you know just below top of ridge you hit him with a with a punky bugle he talks back Hits him again, you know. He talks back. You start heading over, and he goes silent on you as you go closer. Do you change up the strategy at that point? You hit him with different vocalizations. Do you go into a cow strategy?
2: Um, just kind of depends. You know, a lot of times, you know, sometimes they'll keep talking. Once you shut up, they'll they'll kind of bugle on their own for a little bit. But a lot of times they they'll be quiet. They I've had it towards talk at all until I get close again, and I don't want to call my way into them. Um, I'll just be quiet until I get over there and man, it's almost like cheating, but I love using my Onyx, um, on my, on my phone. And I like to, I like, while I'm trying to pinpoint where that bull is, I'm looking at, um, you know, ridgelines, uh, terrain structure, um, forestation, like, uh, landmarks, something I can pick up on my, on my phone. You know, I'm going to look at, what I'm gonna look at first is aerial imagery. Um, it's like, I look across there. Oh, there's a there's a little glade. Uh, there's a rock outcropping. Oh, there's some big timber right there. It sounds like he's in that big timber. I really wanna find that on my phone. Then I make a mark on that, in that big timber. Then I immediately turn it to um, the topographical layer. Um, and it's not the hybrid layer. I like the topographical layer. That way I can look at every little feature and now I'm looking for. Depending on the time of day, let's say it's um, eleven o'clock, um, and I and I think mm, that bull's probably in a in a bedding area. So I'm looking. Okay, across there, there's a little finger ridge. It comes off the main ridge. There's a real nice deep north facing pocket where it sounds like he's at. Um, okay, and then I look at the t- timber density. The timber density looks very mature. It looks very shady. So on that north facing pocket, oh, there's a little bench. Okay, I think that's where he's at. I'm going to put a mark on that little spot. Now it's time to go. So beat feet over there. And I'm not going to call again until I'm 100 yards, 200 yards from that spot. Um, you know, back in the day before before we had these maps, you're like, I think I'm close enough. and And you call. You get over there and you call and call and nothing. I'm like, huh then you start walking, you find out I wasn't nearly as close as I thought it was most of the time. So, um, or you don't want to get too close. Like you just bust them out of there. Mm -hmm. So when I get to that 200 yards mark, I get really slow. I start slowing down. Now I'm going to start worrying about being noisy before. I didn't really worry about being noisy up to that 200 yard mark. Now I'm going to start slowing down, being a lot quieter, moving forward till I start thinking, man, I'm a to bust these things out of that I'm almost on that spot on my map. I'm a hundred yards. Okay, it's time to really find a place to set up um, for this for the shot. Now, I want to try to set up on the same t- contour line that the bull um, where I think the bull is. And that way I there's a couple couple uh reasons for this. So one of them is I wanted to I want it to be super easy for that bull to come to me. Right. I want it to just he don't have to climb up. He don't have to come down. He just comes on a, on a straight line on the same contour to me. Um, and also a lot of times if you're set up on that same contour line, if you get a change in the thermal wind, you know, let's say it, blo- it's been blowing down really good or been blowing up really good for a while, but then all of a sudden the wind changes and blows you're, you you'll still have that crosswind to your advantage. Whereas if you're coming in above them or below them, um, if the wind switches, you know, it's kind of a game over deal. So I really want to have that wind as, as a crosswind in my favor. And then typically, you know, they'll, they'll, the bull will answer whatever calls from earlier, but I typically get close and I want to start out with cow calls, just a few quiet little cow calls, not loud, just really quiet, almost like to where the bull's like, where, where was that? I don't want him to pinpoint me on that first one, maybe. Or and just enough to where he's like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna vocalize. I'm going to bugle um, and say, hey, ladies, over here. Um, and I really want him to bugle in my cow calls. Um, so I'll let that soak for a little bit. And then I'll try it again. If he doesn't vocalize, I'll try it again with a little louder um, cow calls, calf calls, wait for him to vocalize and if, if he doesn't vocalize in, you know, within five, five ten 10 minutes of that, um, few cow calls, then I'll, I'll bugle and I'll, I'll typically bugle, not, I don't want to be the very top level of like mad sounding. I don't know. I don't want to sound super wimpy either. So somewhere in the middle, um, just to like, you know, really to announce my presence. Um, and Then I'm gonna listen for the bugle. And, and a lot of times, if they haven't talked to the cow calls, a lot especially if it's a betting area, um, they when you bugle, um, I've had them that's when they answer. So then I'm gonna play it from there.
1: So you said above or below, them, and and in my experience, I've always had a more difficult time if I'm, you know, dominant uphill of a bull to get them to come in and up versus being down below or on that same bench. Is that your, has that been your experience or I just suck at calling?
2: <laughs> um, so a little, little more trouble getting them to come downhill, uh, to me because I feel like they have that high ground. They can see better mm-hmm. and especially in a little bit more open country. Um, <clears throat> man, they can just really see good where coming up. A lot of times they can't see quite as good. Um, and they have to come closer. So I've, I've had actually had a little better luck calling them uphill than I have calling oh, them downhill. Huh. Huh. Um, but uphill is, is definitely ideal. Um,
1: so yeah, that's, uh, I mean, there, I guess that makes sense, right? Is they're not going to give up the dominant position. So that has, you know, and then the guy coming up is like, oh, this guy's in a dominant position. I don't know. I just thought, you know. Thought there was something to it, um, you know, seeing that. So you made your approach. That bull doesn't respond. Do you, what, what's the game plan there, right? You hit him with the cow calls. He doesn't respond. You hit him with a bugle. He doesn't respond. You're dang near certain he was in that area. So it's kind of changing the, get, the game plan mid game at that point. How, how's that approach look? So at that point,
2: um, I'll pick up a big, a big ass stick and sometimes I'll pick up the big ass stick before I even bugle, but I'll pick it up and I'll start raking a tree with it. You know, I'll start beating up a tree. Um, And it seems like, and sometimes it's hard to find a good stick.
1: Yeah, buddy. I carry one. (laughs) Yeah. I carry one in my pack and I pull that son of a bitch out like a ninja sword. It's, uh, I've had too many, you pick them up and they're dry rot. Right. And you, yeah. you go to rake and it's some, it's just snaps on you and then you scramble it around like, damn it. I just started this. So I just started yep. carrying one, man. Yeah. That's smart.
2: Yeah. So I'll look around and find one, but it's sometimes it's tough. And like you say, a dry rot, and you just you just don't get the good sound to travel out of a, out of a rickety little stick. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a deep, it sounds more authentic to a bull, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a big bull or a little bull raking their, their antlers. Um, it, it kind of same, makes the same sound, you know, sometimes, but the, the, the tree you rake, it definitely makes a difference in how loud it is or the tone. But, um, yeah. So if I can find a decent sized one, then I'll start raking for a bit and then maybe I'll go quiet for a little bit and then I'll call again, but I'll give this, you know, 10, 15 minutes of this, of this kind of calling. And if I don't hear nothing, I, I'm going to, I'm going to advance, right. I'm going to walk up 50 yards, maybe. And then maybe bugle again. Um, And if, if they're in that bed, they're, they hear you coming. And at that point, I'm I'm not really trying to be quiet. I'm going to go ahead and start like popping brush. Like I'm a bull elk coming into this bedding area and whether, whether they have cows or whether it's a lone bull in a bedding area, they're getting pretty defensive of that space. Um, And they're going to usually vocalize like, Hey, Stay out of here. This is my spot or spots taken or <laughs> what, whatever's going through an elk's mind. They don't like it a lot of times if you're trying to come in their bedding area, especially bugling around like that.
1: So the in close, the in close portion of that. There's, I, in my head, there's no, there's no too close. Right. If he's not responding, the worst case scenario is you're going to bust him out. But if he's not responding and you make that first 50 yard approach, I think I'm pushing another half the distance. So I'm going to try and close another 25. Worst case is I don't, you know, I blow him out because I was a little too aggressive, but I don't see another approach in it if you're trying to arrow that elk. What's your, what's your go on that? Right.
2: Right. I'll probably go, I'll probably go about 50 yards and, um, because I've gone a little farther though and, and kind of get caught with my pants down. Like, Oh, there he is down there looking at me. Um, so I just kind of walk about 50 or so. Um, or I keep it like a terrain feature or, you know, something to where it's like, well, he's going to have to really come over here to see me. Um, cause I want this to work a little one more time before I go all in. Um, and sometimes depending It's like, I, I know he's there. Like I have a feeling, or maybe he's made just a little noise. Like he's just, like just made a little groan, but not real loud. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll be quiet for a while. Maybe once I've made that, that 50 yard move and bugled and he, and he hasn't really talked anymore. Maybe I'll just be quiet for a little bit and just not move, you know, at all might even sneak downwind a little bit from my spot right there. If it's the kind of country, you know, some places are just so darn brushy. Any any movement's going to kind of give away your spot. But if you could, like, move a little bit downwind of your last call um, and just be quiet for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Let's oh. say he's just not really being very vocal. A lot of times those things are, okay, I got to go over here and see what's up. And, and they'll get out of their bed and come look. But more times than not, um, I'm having better, you know, once I'm in that zone, they're pretty vocal and it's more of a back and forth game where they, maybe they come that 50 yards, they'll come halfway and they'll start raking. And when they rake, I rake. And when he talks, I beagle over the top of him. Um, so it's just every, everyone, every situation, just a little bit different. Um, I will say, you know, too, um, man, I've had times where you get over into a spot and a and the bowl is just on the other side of a draw, right? And it's heavily timbered, but you can see across, it but it's like eighty yards, right? And I'm not really trying to make an eighty yard shot. Um but man, it's really hard to call balls across those kind of draws like that. Cause they can stand over there and look across the draw and it see it. There, yeah. So um, sometimes if I find myself in a situation like that, um, I get to a place like that. I just kind of like push pause and maybe let that bull move off, do a little better spot. Maybe he climbs, keeps going up the, up the ridge out of that draw and goes up over the ridge. Then it's time for me to cross and get over there and maybe get on that same ridge.
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, God bless you. So, <laughs> so you said something there, right? And, and that, that takes years of experience and confidence in in your ability elk hunting right but the timing or the patience excuse me the patience you have to have to kind of let that unfold right it, it i think for most of us we're you know we're nervous about letting that bull out of sight or letting that bull make a move because of the unknown All right so that plus the timing with what we were talking about previously, uh, it kind of tied into it for me. That's why (laughs) I I did that. But, um, what kind of time are you looking at in, in that approach? Right. I mean, what's, what is too long? What's too short? A lot of times I fall victim to my timing versus the elk timing. I'll try and make a move too soon or, I'll feel like, well, this unfolded and then I'll walk away and I get 50 yards that way. And I got this sucker back where I was at just now sent checking me because I didn't wait another five minutes. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I don't
2: like after I move, like after my first few initial calls and if I haven't heard that vocalization and I move up, you know, between then and me moving up, it might be like a 10, 15 minute deal. Um, but it, I started getting a little nervous depending on the country, um, of how long I can stay in that zone without the wind screwing me up. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like, seems like, especially if we're talking bedding areas, seems like elk really love those to bed in places where the, the winds can be a little fickle. Yeah, but, So, uh, if I, if I can't get in and get it out, get in and get out or get a shot on one within that, within that time period, maybe I may I may do something different. Like I may back out. I may, if I may push the envelope, like you say, maybe, okay, I'm time to get a little bit aggressive here and push up in there. I don't want to be reckless, but I don't want to, um, sit over here with indecision and then have the wind foul me. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, but also too, you know, let's say, you know, it's a different game. Maybe you've heard the bull moving. You, you seen, seen where he was headed. You, you looked on your map, you know, back in the old days, a lot of times you would hear bulls bugle, 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 and then all of a sudden, nothing. And you're like, well, he must just be out of the mood, or you get over there and you hike around a little bit and you can't find him. Well, now you look on your phone, it's like, oh, shoot, there's a saddle there, and, oh, he's probably going over to this really nice bedding area, or, or just maybe he's crossing country. And if you start figuring out the likely places to find elk, and you have, a, like, a, one of these little hand elk maps in your hand, you can really okay, I kind of got an idea where he's headed and you can just kind of go over there and start picking apart the landscape um, like that. It's
1: almost. Okay. You you keep bringing it up. so Don't blame me. Uh, If we start running long. (laughs) So hunting him, hunting him in transition, right? Because as we locate a bull, right, he may be in transition. You know, it's the sun's just come up. Now he's going from feed to bed. He's in transition and we're calling, calling, calling. It never sounds like we are gaining ground on him. It's just the same distance all the time. Um, Right? That's a pain in the butt, man. And and maybe it's me. I can't seem to, I can stop him for a second. I'll never gain ground on him, but they always seem to stay just on that move. I'm going from A, I'm going to be at B, right? So there's huge benefit in what you're saying about understanding that terrain and those, and those terrain features. Uh, and maybe the approach is cutting him off and, and getting to where you think he's going to be.
2: Right. Right. And it, well, during that transition time, it's pretty hard to, you know, for me at least, uh, to, to get ahead of them or get whatever. Um, if they've disappeared up and over a ridge somewhere, then you really have to kind of figure out where they've disappeared to, um, when, once they get out of earshot and, um, you know what, the good thing is, you know, to know in your mind, like, okay, I've been following this bull, he's bugle and, but he keeps on moving, keeps on moving. And you have to, you have to have that faith or have to know it's like, well, he's not leaving because, of my calls or cause he thinks I'm a person, you know, these, these elk, they just know where they want to go for the day. Um, he's going up there. Um, if you stick with it, they're eventually going to go lay down somewhere. And then that's where you're going to, you can, you can, um, get in close and make your, make your, uh, make your stand with, with that bull. Um, I know when I was younger, you know, I used to think, you know, man, what the heck, you know, it's, I can't, it seems that I must be saying something wrong, but you know, out after playing with elk for so many years, you, you understand it's like, well, they're just they're just doing elk stuff, mm-hmm. and um, you can't get frustrated. And if you know that that's what they're doing, it's like, okay, well, then it it doesn't hurt as bad hiking hiking to those those places, you know,
1: continuing to follow along and knowing that okay, I'm going to eventually catch these guys. So, so if that's the case in my head, the wrong approach is to overcall, right? It's you, you can call too much, right? To where they'll just go silent on them, silent on you. Um, and until you locate them in that, that bedding area, they're probably not going to talk again. If you don't have a good locate on them or you're that far behind to me overcall and just, you know, give me a response, give me a response, give me a response can be a huge, that's almost going back to what you said. It's a little reckless.
2: Right. Yeah. I may make, maintain contact, but I don't like in that transition time, I don't try not to call a super ton amount, you know, suit a lot unless, you know, they've moved, but then they're like, okay, they've stopped for a while. You know, a lot of times the cows will pull over and, Oh, this is a great place to eat. And they start eating and stuff. And, and, um, and that bull, he's going to want to defend. So that's a great time to get up there and then start getting a little more aggressive with your calls. Um, But if you don't get them called in pretty soon, it's like, well, it's time to go again. And they, they off they go. Um, I've, I've called, I've called in and killed, um, several in transition time, but I've, I've done a lot better, like in, in the bedding area, it seems like, um, they're a lot harder to call off, call out of that transition phase. And they've kind of made up their mind what they're going to do, and unless they're, like I say, they're lingering, you know, and feeding. If they're just not really moving a lot of country in that transition time, um, then yeah, you can definitely call them in.
1: So morning, midday, evening hunt. What's yeah. your what's your what's your favorite? <laughs> where, where are the bulls dying? I've probably killed more in the, af- in the,
2: that noon to one o'clock to four o'clock in the afternoon, somewhere in that, in that time period. Um, I've killed a few in the, right at the last, last light. That's tricky. Um, because if it's, if it's getting too late, a lot of times I try, try not to, to push the issue unless I'm just like right on them. Right. But if it gets too late, um, they can start coming in and then it's too dark and then you can't shoot. You know, it's, it's past legal shooting line. It's like, well, we, I've really, I've really pushed this, butt bulls buttons, but for no good reason, mm-hmm. he's coming in and then it's too dark. We need to, so I'll, I'll really assess that. It's like, well, do we have enough time to call him in or, or are we close enough to call him in before it gets too dark? Um, and that, that's, been pretty important because i i would rather like okay i'm just gonna leave him be till tomorrow morning i'll come back in tomorrow morning and try to catch him before they start taking off up the mountain or follow him to his bedroom at least i know where he's living he's probably living here but if i call him in and follow it up if he comes in in the and it's too dark to shoot and or he smells this that then in that last little bit of light then um then I'm really fouled. Right. Um, uh, I'm, I'm better off just to kind of push pause and like, okay, we'll
1: come back for this guy in the morning. I know the answer. Um, and we talked about this, but, and one of the things, you know, and I told you last year watching that film and I just, I think folks should hear it again. Cause guys are going to get on the mountain. Gals are going to get them out and get frustrated. And persevering through all of it right and just staying just saying mission focus and on the game um and if folks haven't watched that series that you guys put out last year you know i'd I'd highly recommend it especially if you haven't gone to the or leave into the mountain yet um so talk about that man because that watching that film and and going hot dang man that's it right there i mean you can you can be the The best caller in the world. You could have. You could be the stealthiest hunter in the world, you know, so to speak. And unless you're persevering through all that predation, recreators, other hunters, the elk doing elky things, without that man, it's it's all for naught. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. New Mexico was just last year was just tough. I mean, there's everybody envisions New Mexico with like what you see with primos and and all the all the cool videos we used to watch with, you know, big screaming bulls and lots of elk. And, but man, this unit we hunted, there were just not very many elk. Um, and there was a lot of like contradictions to like theory, you know, there were very few cows. There was hardly any cows. We heard more bugles a day than we saw cows. Um, I think the most cows I saw in one setting was eight. And, um, I know we saw, we heard way more bugles than that and saw more bulls than that around. But, so you would think that would, that would lend itself to a very competitive atmosphere, you know, lots of bulls, very few cows, um, man, you blow a cow call and they're just going to beat your door down. But we just didn't have that kind of luck with cow calls. Uh, they, they liked bugles, um, quite a bit, but, um, not, but not every day. Some days were great and some days were not, and there were more of those not days, you know, than there were great days. There was probably two or three days out of, out of nine that were pretty solid days for calling. Um, but the rest of the time, then it was pretty tough, pretty, pretty iffy. And, and, you know, um, I was hunting, I was kind of, kind of solo. I, I had my camera guy with me for the most part for mo- most of the hunt. Um, but Jason Phelps and Ryan Lampers, they were teamed up. So, you know, Ryan Lampers, I mean, he's the king of being, being sneaky, um, so you would think like, oh, this, this will be easy. Just, hey, Phelps, keep them talking and, and, and Ryan, they'll sneak in on them, but man, these elk were on the move a lot and they would bed in some places, you know, that a lot of the, the, uh, trees and terrain features there in New Mexico didn't lend itself to really great stocking conditions. So man, you, you know, we both got in, you know, had bulls in front of us, but, Um, I never did take a shot. Um, Ryan finally ended up on the last, on the very last five minutes of light on the very last day, ended up shooting a bull. Um, he passed up some about the same size, if not a little bigger, but it's like, okay, you got to go home with some meat in in the freezer. So he shot it. But, um, you know, if you don't, if you don't have that, you know, desire or that, you know, the understanding that you have to, you have to play the game to the end. And it, and oftentimes at the very end is when you find success, you have to kind of almost feel like, Oh, it's not a real elk hunt if you haven't wallowed in the depths of despair a little bit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I think for a lot of us, that is, that is the allure of it too, though. I mean, the socialization or the social aspect of it is huge. Right. But, but, the, the despair and the suffering that's man that really motivates me. It sucks, but it motivates the heck out of me to go year after year after year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But if you can trust, you know, you can't like hunt for three days and be like, Oh man, this is hard. The elk bugle in this year, they don't like calls or they don't like this. I, I think I'm going to go home. <laughs> I think I'll go home now, like Forrest Gump. <laughs> but I look like Forrest Gump, big beard and stuff Yeah, <laughs> you, come out. You've exhausted every like effort and every bit of energy and every bit of time that you've you have for your hunt because it's um, it can change, you know. I, I even bailed a little early. I, I had we had one afternoon left to hunt, and all week, anytime a thunderstorm would come in. Um, the elk would clam up, which the year before, every time a thunderstorm would come in, the elk would fire up. And I was just like, man, Dusty, we got, if we get back, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's it's going to thunderstorm. We're not going to hear any elk. And then we're going to get, uh, we're going to head, head back home a little later. And if I get home a little extra early, I can go on to my next hunt and connect the dots. So I, I got sucked into that comfort of thinking, okay, well, it ain't gonna, it's not going to happen. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead. and leave. I left it at, at noon or so on that last day, which I was a fool to do, but Jason and Lampers stuck it out, which Lampers is, like I say, he's the king of sticking it out and patience. And, uh, yeah, he killed on the last day. So, um, my hat's off to him and, and, I will say though, sometimes you need to, you need a little reminder that, of that to, to, to correct, to right the ship a yeah. little bit. Like I'm not letting that happen again. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm holding on to the bitter end, um, every time. So, um, which typically I do, but I just, I got a little bit.
1: You get a I little guess, homesick. Little, mom, you start missing mama. And when the self-talk little, starts, man, it's like, Oh, uh-oh, that dude is going downhill fast. And I've man, been there, done that. And I drove, I was driving, what, a thousand miles before we moved. I drove home because I was, it just started everything. The wheels started turning. I could hear it, you know, get home to mama. And I got home. And then two days later, I'm like, babe, I'm going back. So two days later, dude, I'm, I'm like this driving, you know, like, oh, that I shouldn't be driving like this. I got, you know, got to my little spot and dropped back in. And I could barely move but that regret lingers and lingers and lingers when you when you oh, pull yeah. out early it's just like god dang what did i do yeah yeah that was that that one's going to hurt for a while so um who
2: knows i may not have got one anyway but <laughs> you'll never it's know it's <laughs> when you butt
1: pain so yep uh, happening so what do you what do you have going on, man, uh for season? Where are you hunting? You hunting just in Idaho or are you boogering out? Um, man, I'm
2: I'm hunting all over this year. So uh for the opener, I have a, a good friend who drew a special permit in a really sought after unit. Um, prob- arguably one of the best elk units in Idaho. He drew a archery tag. So for the opener, I'm gonna go down with him for a few days and uh hunt. And then he's gonna come with me. Um On the 5th of September, we're going to go to Utah. I got, I got a hunt planned with my cousin, um, Evan Hafer from Black Rifle Coffee. Um, we're going to go to the, the, um, Deseret. He invited me to come to the Deseret and and hunt with him and, and his buddies. So we'll hunt there for five days and then, which will be pretty awesome. And then, um, I go to New Mexico again, got went got a tag for a different unit this year. Um, so I'll go down there and hunt and then I'll wrap up season here. in Good old Idaho. Um, back into my the old
1: stomping grounds. Yeah. It, I, that New Mexico, man. Uh, I don't know after, you know, hearing you talk about it, seeing the, seeing the film, I have a hunt in New Mexico and I'm, uh, Like you said, right, you get, oh man, you know, 350, 380, 400 inch bull, New Mexico, they're everywhere. They're screamers. And I'm like, dang, man, that's a, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about that hunt. More nervous about that one than I am just, you know, going behind the house here.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think one thing, you know, sometimes people get sucked into a mindset like, oh man, I got this really great tag. Oh, it's going to be easy. We're going to go, we're going to slam. them man, you still got to show up and hunt hard, um, no matter how good the unit is, because a lot of times, um, that's what it takes is that, you know, getting up every morning and hunting hard and lots of boot, boot leather and, and grinding it just cause there's, you know, a good bull to cow ratio there. And there's some mature bolts doesn't mean that they're just going to fall into your lap. Right. They're
1: going to walk into the arrow. It's for always, you.
2: <laughs> <it's> always,
1: <laughs> any, uh, uh, well, I'm sure you guys are filming. You filming most of that or just a couple yeah. of the hunts? Yeah.
2: Yep. Uh, my uh, camera guy, Dusty, um, he, he called me yesterday and said, Man, I got bad news. I, I hurt my knee. And I'm like, You hurt your knee? What happened? He said, Well, I was playing frisbee golf or something, um, <laughs> trotting around, <laughs> throwing the frisbee. And he's like, All of a sudden, my knee is like, Ah! it hurts. So the next day he couldn't even put any weight on it. And that was like a Saturday, he couldn't put no weight on it. And by Monday, um, it was starting to feel a little better, but he's like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Um, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. So then I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? I need my camera guy, you know, I need to have somebody go, um, got all this commitment here. And And then, well, Dusty's son had followed us a couple of years ago and did some filming. I called for Dusty and then Dusty's son, Easton, had filmed, um, when Dusty was shooter and he did a good job, did a great job. So I'm like, Hey, do you think Easton would, would mind coming? And he's like, Oh heck yeah, he'd love to. So, um, if, if Dusty can't come, at least Easton will be able to go and and we'll get, we'll get it all on film. So
1: man i, I won't <laughs> about a month out of season dude i'm so cautious with everything i'm nervous about doing anything man i don't want no injury i don't want anything to throw me off a of season my wife's like oh, we, yeah. we take the side by side out and i'm just putting around she's like what are you doing you know she's like step on it and i'm like nope <laughs> i want no issues this close yeah i uh i was trying to trying to
2: break in a new pair of boots last week and I pushed a little too hard, I think, one day, and I got back, and man, I had two big old blisters on the back of my heels. And <laughs> I'm like, oh man, well at least I'm getting this out of the way a week before season, week yeah. and a half before they'll it. be healed up and tough by by the opener, so I'll be I'll be good.
1: Dude, there's this stuff. It's I don't know if I have it. Do I have it up here? No, it's called Wururu wool, and it's this. uh, this guy uh, Matt Disney out of Utah. He started this company, and they do base layers and whatnot. But they have this stuff. It's called uh, Wuru Blister Wool, and it's this this big old tuft of spun wool, and it's lanolin treated. And as soon as you fill a hot spot, do you stuff this stuff in your sock, and it kind of ah. with the friction, it kind of binds to your sock in that spot. I've never, in all my years of of being on the mountain, I have never had anything to work in terms of preventing blisters like that stuff like you know people use that moleskin and leukotape tape or throw something in. this stuff yeah. is is like it's freaking gold dude you could you could hike you could fill a, a a hot spot as soon as you fill it you put it in there hike 20 miles you you'll never get a blister in the worst pair of boots it's amazing you should check them out it's uh um w u r u yep it's woo rule blister wool I'm looking at them right now. Yeah. I mean, it's like <laughs> nine bucks, nine bucks for a bag. And I mean, unless you, you know, that $9 has lasted me probably three to four years. And I'll yeah. always, you know, I buy a bag from them for season and I'll give it away, you know, just to support them and stuff. But that stuff is, it's gold in the bag, man. It's amazing. Huh. Yeah. I'm going to order
2: some right now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I uh, was that two years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago. I did something to my toe and it felt like it was broken. And I I mean, literally could barely walk on the mountain and I didn't, you know, it's like, you can't splint a toe. So what I right. did is I took the, took my sock off and I t- pulled a kind of lengthy piece of that woo out and I wrapped it around two toes and it did the same thing, dude. It, it bound to the sock on the top and the bottom and the front and it splinted my toe. And I was like, you know, back on the move, like nothing, man, that stuff is, uh, it's gold, man. I tell you. It is absolute gold.
2: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm ordering some right now. Yeah, man. It's, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a it's a game changer. You'll be uh, you'll be thanking them, I'm sure. Well, man, I don't want to hold you up. I got to load. You got to load. Everything is busy. Again, man. You know, always an honor to talk to you. I appreciate you jumping on at last minute and sharing some of that knowledge with the folks. And best of luck to you in the season, man.
2: Hey, man, it's all. Uh, i'm always happy to get on here and talk it's always a pleasure catching up and um if we don't talk before i'll probably see you at the western
1: hunting expo next winter Yeah, absolutely man best of luck
0: to you